Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for children and how much we're constantly learning from them and the example that they show us. And really, Father, the, the way you humble us through children. Father, I think many of us are probably guilty of doing a shoebox or, or not even doing a shoebox and yet not even have prayed for it the way those kids just did. We got the money, we got the stuff, we got the busyness to hurry up and get it done, but maybe not the prayer. So we learn from those children. And Father, we are reminded from those kids that at the end of the day, do we look to you? Are we impressed with ourselves or are we trusting in our God in heaven, our Father? Father, we pray that today you would work in our hearts. We need you to from your word. Father, that's where your Holy Spirit uh, goes to work. It takes the word, it brings it to our hearts and then starts to deal with us. And Father, I pray that today you would lead us to repentance, that we would turn from our sins, and you would lead us to Jesus, that we would turn to Jesus. Father, do that work in all of us today. In Jesus' name we pray it, amen. Let's turn in the Bible, please, to the book of Micah. Micah, it is an Old Testament prophet. We've been there now for three weeks. It's our fourth week, and we're going to end up Micah's uh, prophecy book today. We're going to look at chapters 6 and 7. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible there. It's page 1106, 1106. You know, um, if you're a skeptic, you look at that video there and you think, you know, it's just kids, they didn't know what they were doing or saying or meaning, and who knows what they're going to be like when they grow up, and, and that's true. If you're a believer, um, you think, wow, those kids are awesome, and uh, I want there to be more kids like that. If you believe the Bible, as I do, then I want to assure you of this, though. Jesus does love the kids. Jesus loves people. He does. Loves, loves people. And that is a message that you need to know, and you need to not, like, leave real quickly right now and think that that's enough for you to know, but you need to know that. And upon knowing that Jesus loves kids and Jesus loves people, then I want to challenge you to think a little bit further about that. What else do we know about Jesus and who he is and what he's like? And what is his message to those that he loves? At the end of Micah, as we go from 6, 9, all the way through the end of chapter 7 and finish the book, you're going to see the complete message of God. Micah's prophecy is really, really good. There are 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, Genesis to uh, Malachi, and the, the last 12 books are these minor prophets. And we're going through all of them, and right now we're at Micah. And they're, they're minor not because of their significance. They are majorly important. Uh, they're minor just because they're short. You can see here Micah is just a couple pages in your Bible. Some are even shorter than that. But they are really important. Micah is one of the best. I showed you last week uh, Micah 6.8, one of the best verses in the entire Bible. They're all good, but, uh, but some seem to be richer than others because of uh, what they can say in such a compact position. Look at verse 8. 
He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It's a good verse. What had happened is God had told his people Israel that they had sinned against God, they had offended God, God was angry with them, and therefore God was going to judge and punish them. These are all messages from God. These are all good and true and accurate messages from God that go along with Jesus loves you. Complete message. There's a lot to be said. The Bible teaches us to teach the whole counsel of God. And when you're doing that, there's a lot to cover, right? And so here's what we have coming from the prophet Micah that God is upset with his people. Well, finally, after all of these chapters, the people respond back and they say, Oh, no. God really is angry with us. What should we do? And so they start suggesting to God all of these big and outlandish things that they're going to do for God as if they want to make it up to him, right? We do that. You remember I made the joke last week of when, when I really get in the doghouse and I've been a bad husband, I will start trying to take Val out on a date or, or buy her flowers or do this or that. Like that's going to make it better. And at the end of the day, she just wants me to really care for her and love her, Right? And so they come back to God and they say, God, what can we do? And they suggest, we're going to give God a really expensive one-year-old calf. We will sacrifice it to him and he'll know we're serious because of how expensive that offering is. And they say, well, if not that, then we'll give God a thousand rams sacrificed. If, if one really expensive one doesn't do it to him and make him back happy with us, then we'll just give him a bunch, a thousand offerings. God's like, no. And they're like, okay. Well, then we'll do 10,000 rivers of oil. We will just come to him with this huge blessing of wealth and of value and of lots of it and an abundance. And surely by then he'll know we're serious because we're, we're doing so much, 10,000 rivers of oil. And God's like, no. And then they say, this is only representative of people that don't know God. They say, God, if we have to prove it to you, we will offer to you our children. We'll sacrifice our children to you, God, if that's what it will take to show you how much we do love you. We'll do the biggest thing we possibly can. God says, no. Micah speaks up and says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Do justice. Love kindness. And walk humbly with your God. God doesn't want you to go out and hit a home run for him. God doesn't want you to go out and do this big one-time thing showing that you're serious about him. God doesn't want that. God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants 24-7, all day, every day. He wants a humility. He wants a brokenness. He wants an honesty before him that you are coming to him, confessing that you don't have it all figured out, confessing that you've sinned against him, confessing that you need him, acknowledging that you need him, and saying, oh, God, be near to me. God, don't be far from me. God, don't leave me. Don't let me go. God, help me, help me, help me. That's what God wants. And through six chapters in Micah, it is brought to that point. You see how far away they are from God, and that is shameful and embarrassing that the people of God didn't know that, and they came with these ridiculous suggestions for how they might get right with God. But Micah the prophet, speaking for God to the people, comes back at verse 8. Well, I want to pick up now with verse 9 of chapter 6, and I want to walk to the end of the chapter, okay? Read with me, chapter 6, verse 9, 
all the way to the end. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag, full, bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat but not be satisfied. There shall be hunger within you. You shall put away but not preserve. And what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow but not reap. You shall tread olives but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their councils that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. Chapter 7, woe is me. For I've become as when the summer fruit has been gathered and when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them, a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see. and Shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants from the fruit for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. 
Notice the ending of the entire book of Micah. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. God is a promise-keeping God. God is a faithful God. And when God says he is creating a people that he will change and change their hearts and draw to himself and that they will love him, when God says he will do that, regardless of the bleak outlook that you see around yourselves and so many countless numerous people who have no regard for God, irreverent toward God, no commitment to follow Christ, no hatred of their own sins, no love for the goodness of God and his grace, regardless of that, God will do it. Micah shows us at the end of his prophecy that even though the people of God seem to be so far from him, God is working. Very quickly today, I want to give you four points. Number one, God's appropriate response to sin. God's appropriate response to sin. Number two, man's accurate remorse. To sin. Man's accurate remorse to sin. Number three, God's amazing redemption of sinners. God's amazing redemption of sinners. And lastly, number four, believers, authentic, rejoicing in their Redeemer. The believers, authentic, rejoicing in their Redeemer. Number one, God's appropriate response to sin. I showed you in the first several verses of chapter 6, they are, God has poured out his heart to them. In verse 3, God humbly says with, with great emotion and compassion, verse 3, oh my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. The heart of a father God is asking his people, why are you sinning against me? They come back with this answer in 6 and 7 that they will give all of these outlandish offerings to God. God replies back in verse 8, No, oh man, you know what I want from you. I want your heart. I want you. I want your life. I want your love. I want you to believe and trust me. From there, we get into our passage today, verse 9. And Micah says that the voice of the Lord cries in the city. The reference here of the city is wanting us to know that this is a message for everybody. There are more people in the city. You know that. Cities are more crowded than rural areas, right? And, and this message from God is coming to the people of the city. I have said often, when God revives his church, it will revive a city. When the people are turning away from God, then the city will suffer. You can see this as you look around the history of the world everywhere. As God's people go, so the city goes the majority of the time. Make of that what you will, but that is what we learn. That is what we have seen in history. That is what we experience in our lives even today, and this is what we see happening here. Micah says, the voice of the Lord cries to the city. Look what he says here. It is sound wisdom to fear your name. Tuesday is election day. I have no suggestions for you. I have no advice. I don't have any wisdom in that area except for this. 
There may be needs all around us, but you know what the number one need is? God. God's truth, God's ways, God's mercy, God's understanding. This is the answer. And try all you might with he or she or this person or that person. As long as we continue to not listen to God, we may be going in circles and this side may get better while this side gets worse and this side may be better this side gets worse. But we are never moving in the direction, listen to me, of what is good Goodness comes from God. Goodness comes from God and his ways. Micah says there is a voice crying to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. You know what every single one of you, one of us, one of all of us needs? We need to look to God. What does God say? What does God expect? What does, to use Micah's word in verse 8, what does the Lord require? What does the Lord require? Oh, that there would be a group of people truly wanting to know what justice is and do what justice is. So Micah is crying this out. He says, it is sound wisdom to fear your name. He then says to them again in verse 9, Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. The rod is representative of the discipline of God, that God is a punishing God to those who need to be punished. Now again, as I've said before, that's not the whole message. If you want to leave out of here and say that Christians and preachers and and Pastor Josh are, are mean, hateful people, and we say that God is just a punishing God, then you could say that because I do believe that. That's not all that I say. I say a lot more than that. And I love my neighbors and I love my enemies and we want to do that too. There's a lot more to be said, right? This is the danger of social media. I can take one little thing, 140 characters and make one little statement. You don't know what else I'm meaning. To be careful with this. You saw what I just read in chapter six and seven, right? Verse nine, he says, hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. God is coming with a rod in his hand and he will punish you people. You have sinned against him. That's part of the message. But you also remember how it ended, right? Who is a God like him that pardons iniquity, passes over transgression? He will not stay angry forever. He delights in his love. He will have compassion on us. If you want to misquote somebody, misquote somebody. But make sure you understand what God's message is, right? Don't stand over here on this side and give half the message to support yourself and ignore this side. And don't stand over here and give half the message to support yourself and ignore this side. Let's be people that know what God says. And sometimes he says this and sometimes he says this. But if we're going to be the people of God, we've got to make sure we're always talking about what God says. And so y'all had to sit here and listen to me read all of these verses from chapter 6 and 7 because we want to understand it. God's appropriate response to sin is that God is upset about it. He is bothered here. He is is angry. He has the rod. And Micah says this message is for the whole city. The voice of the Lord is crying out. In verse 10, God cannot forget their wickedness. He says, do you think I should ignore it? Do you think I should overlook it? Certainly not. He says in verse 11, should I be unjust? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales, with a bag of deceitful weights? Should God be be unjust? Should he not be fair? Should he let an evildoer go free and just ignore it and act like it's good? Not call evil an evil thing? No, God's not that way. In verse 12, he gets even more specific, speaking to the city. The rich men there are full of violence. The rich men who often your wealth will cause you to have power. People gather around those with money. People listen to those with money, and they're full of violence. 
They're not compassionate. They're not caring. They're not helpful to the situation. They're able to hurt, and they're able to because they have the authority in that position. Then he says, this people in the city speak lies. Then he says, their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. I would imagine that many people would have thought this city is nice. It's the people of God after all, right? We're talking about Israel. We're talking about Bethlehem. We're talking about Jerusalem. We're talking about the places that can identify themselves with God. And God's message to them is no. Violence and lies and deceit. Verse 13, he says, Therefore I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. God is angry with them. God will punish them. God will do away with them. Why? Because of their sin. There isn't a place for us to discuss sin and what's wrong, what's right and what's wrong, how God feels about it, how God will deal with it, how it needs to be dealt with, and we cannot speak to God. We cannot represent God. We cannot understand God. We cannot speak for God. Verse 13, God will punish them because of your sins. You'll eat but not be satisfied. You'll be hungry and you won't be able to fulfill it. You'll start trying to save but it won't really work. Imagine today... How many people are desiring to save money and cannot? Could it be that God opposes the proud like he says he does and we are living in the judgment of God against us? I'm not saying that he's speaking to us here. I'm saying to think about how he deals with people. Verse 15, you shall sow but not reap. You go on and on. Verse 16, he starts to speak about the the, the ungodly. They're starting to live their lives. They are living their lives in the way that Christian people don't live, that godly people don't. He goes on and says, you've walked in their councils. You get your advice from the people who don't know God. You get your inspiration from those who don't know God. We have a whole town of people who say they're Christian, but don't follow God. We have a whole town of people who say they know God and love God, but don't know what God says. We have a whole city of people who would affirm that they are believers. They don't know what God says. They don't know what God's response is. We've never seen that God says this right here. God's appropriate response to sin is I don't like it, I'm angry about it, and I will punish you for it. That is accurate. Again, don't leave. That's not the end of the story. That's the truth, and that's a part of it. God says that sinfulness needs to be dealt with. First of all, you have to be able to admit that sin is wrong. Certainly, if you don't think it's wrong, if you don't believe what God says is wrong, then you're not going to be able to understand a discipline or understand a punishment. And you can go vice versa with this. If you don't think anything's wrong, then you've got no discipline or punishment. Or if you don't have any discipline or punishment, then you're not going to be able to say anything's wrong. 2018, we're living with a lot of people who used to think things were wrong, but nobody gets punished for anything, and so nothing's really wrong anymore. If there's no consequence to it, it doesn't matter if it's wrong. Right? We can tell kids to not run in the hall, but if you don't get punished for running in the hall, then what do we do? We run in the hall. Right? You can tell people to wear their seatbelt, but if you don't give tickets for not wearing a seatbelt, then guess what people aren't going to do? Not going to wear their seatbelt. Right? Well, this is God we're talking about, not running in the hall or wearing a seatbelt. We're talking about us, me and you, living in ways that God does not approve of. 
and yet claiming to still be his. And so God has an appropriate response to sin. Micah says the voice of the Lord cries out to the city. And he's not happy. Number two, from there, we see that God has a response to sin and he doesn't like it. And number two, though, he says man's accurate remorse to sin. Remorse is this deep, deep cutting bothersome feeling that you're wrong. Remorse is almost completely absent in our lives. When was the last time you felt remorse over your sins? I'm serious. When was the last time you felt remorse over your sins? Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Micah says, woe is me. Micah's head is hung. His stomach is knotting up. His tears are starting to flow. It reminds us of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who never saw anybody respond to his preaching. It reminds us of Job, who in all of his suffering also cried out these very words, Woe is me. Job had felt so far from God and so desperate for God, and his heart had become so bitter toward God that Job cried out, Woe is me. Micah has just heard God preach to the city Your sins have ruined you. And now Micah is remorseful. He says he's like a vine dresser. And when the summer fruit has gathered, when the grapes have been gleaned, he goes out to pick the garden. And what's he say in verse 1? There's nothing there. Now, he's not talking about your one little tomato plant in a pot in the back patio that didn't do too good this year. He's talking about the people of God. He walks out into the nation of Israel and looks for some fruit, the fruit of righteousness. He looks for people who say, no, God says this, and that's what we need to do. God says this, and that's what we need to do. We need to walk in God's ways. We need to depend on him for mercy, for the forgiveness of sins. We need to live with a humility because we don't have it all figured out. We need to not be judgmental. We need to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God because that's what God tells us to do. And he goes out there and looks among all the people. He's crying out to a city. He's looking at the whole city He sees nobody doing that. Can you name name somebody in our community that walks with God and stands for righteousness and won't allow for the gossip to go when it goes and won't allow for the injustice to go when it goes? Can you think of anybody? Does Fairdale have these type of people? Does South Louisville have these type of people? Does Dixie Highway have? Does Does Fairdale High School have people in it that stand for righteousness? Here's what God says, and here's what God doesn't say. Here's the things that we can do, and here's the things that we can't do. There's a line drawn in the sand, and we're for the city all day long, but we will not transgress our God. And when God is transgressed, it bothers us. There is remorse. And Micah looks around and says... 
I find no fruit. I feel like a gardener that went out to pick and there's nothing there. What an indictment on God's people. He goes on, the godly has perished from the earth. I guess they all died, he says. There used to be some godly people that looked to God and believed him and walked in his ways, but I guess they all died off because it seems now the earth has nobody. Verse 2, the second half says, there is no one upright among mankind. I think about these things all the time. I wonder if I go to your, to your businesses and I go to your, to your places where you work and I go to our schools and I say, hey, who are the godly kids here? Hey, who are the godly employers here? Is there anybody? Do we know? Micah's feeling this same way. He says they all lie in wait for blood. They're all looking for me, 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 me. And they'll be nice to you as soon as you cross them. But you cross them, buddy, and that's just how we roll. You treat me like that, I'll treat you right that. I'll turn on you in a second. I'm sweet as can be with my little inspirational memes. But as soon as I can flare up, here comes the words, and here comes the evil, and here comes the seduction, and here comes the lust, and here comes everything flying out of me as soon as I can stick my chest out and make sure nobody tramples on me. This is what he sees. They all lie and wait for blood. Each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. They're good at doing evil, Micah says. And yet, you know, as I'm sitting here preparing this message, I'm thinking to myself that you guys may not even know what I'm talking about. Because we're so far away from what God approves and what God doesn't. Y'all may be sitting here going, is he, is he talking about us or is he not? <laughs> Is he talking about us like inside this room or is he talking about those out there? Are we that far away from what God is approving and what God is disapproving? Do we know what his ways are? They're good at doing evil. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. Think about that. The great man utters the evil desire of his soul. The great man, the one that we look up to, the one that we idolize, the one that we say we follow, the one that we say we trust in, he does evil of his soul, and thus they weave it together. Oh, this is sick, y'all. This is sick. We have those the good and those the righteous and those that are claiming to be Christian have now, listen, have now woven their goodness and their righteousness and their godliness. They've woven it together with the ways of evil. Be careful, Micah. I know he's talking to Israel, but it sure sounds like us. It sure does. Verse 4, the best of them are like a briar. Hey, if you don't cross them, they won't stick you. Ain't that what briars are? You ever walk through the woods? You ever walk through the woods and got a briar in you? If you don't touch the briars, it's all good. Man, that was a nice trail. We had a, we had a nice hike today, you might say. But you catch that briar the wrong way, and it'll tear you up. It'll cut you deep. Hey, it'll draw blood. Micah's talking about people. People. The best of them is like a briar. 95% of the time, they're good and sweet and godly. But, oh, you catch them on the wrong day, the wrong, the wrong subject. You allow them to be the one being hurt, and they will stick you deep. 
the most upright of them, a horn fedge, the thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come, and now, look at this, their confusion is at hand. Micah is telling the people that you're confused. And oh, is this not us today? They've got us confused. They've got us confused on what we should be standing for and what we shouldn't be standing for. And, and, and what they've done really well is they'll lump, they'll lump categories of things together, some that we approve of and some that we don't. And they'll try to say that we're, that we're, uh, that we're all wrong in that direction. They've got us confused. We don't know if we should go this way. We don't know if we should go that way. We have a hard time with all of that. And, 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 and the reason why is because we have gotten away from God's ways and we've tried to weave it together that we're trying to be good and we're trying to be like the world and we won't draw a line on what is wrong and what is not wrong and next thing you know we're confused and so we're asking all types of big questions well what about this and what about that verse 5 says put no trust in a neighbor have no confidence in a friend guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms for the son treats the father with contempt the city society has gotten so messed up listen to me Again, I'm not saying he's talking about America. You tell me if he is or not. But he's talking here about Israel, God's people. He says the son treats the father with contempt. A son doesn't like his dad, doesn't respect his dad. The daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And then he just says, a man's enemies are the men of his own house. We're so far away from the ways of God that each person is determining what's right and what's wrong. And I don't like the way you did this, so I'm going to tell you that. And I don't like the way you did that, so I'm going to tell you that. There's no mutual respect. There's no understanding. There's certainly no peace, no calm. There's no ability to interact. There's no ability to hear somebody out. And what we've got is chaos. Everybody is offended by everybody. Everything you say, everything you do is wrong. It goes on and on. I can't stand to watch the news. We're confused about why. And there's hardly anybody saying, I mean seriously, there's hardly anybody saying, you stopped listening to God. You're not listening to God. And we start thinking, well, man, if our kids had better friends, then they wouldn't have turned out that way. And if they had better schools, they wouldn't have turned out that way. Y'all, it's God. You need God. Micah is just pouring out his heart. He's expressing his remorse to sin. The people of God are ugly. They're evil. They don't reflect the goodness of God. They're not making the city better. The city's worse. They're not even making society better. They're not even making the home better anymore. Our homes, the places where people should be reared and loved and supported and trained and cherished are an absolute disaster. And there's fighting inside the home, he says. How far away from God have we gotten where moms and dads are to love their children and children are to honor their mother and father and they're to take care of each other and no matter what, family sticks together. And it is an indictment from the word of God that that's not even the case. Why? Because me, me, me. You try to tell me one bit that I'm not wrong or I'm, wrong, or, 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 or I'm not right or that I'm wrong or that I need to change or this, and that's it. I'm done. Micah's bothered by it. He's upset. He's remorseful over it. 
When you heard me read that a man's enemies are the men of his own house, you probably thought you'd heard that before. Jesus quotes Micah. So just in case you thought this was a strictly Old Testament idea, just with the people of Israel, Jesus reminds us, no, that's how it'll be till the end. Because here's why. Listen to me. God is a good, loving, saving God. He is. God will forgive any of us of all of our sins. But you do that by coming to him, or he does that by you coming to him. So if you don't want to come to him and bow down to God and, rec- and, and, and recognize God as Lord and as sovereign as your maker, then God will oppose you. And when that happens, people get mad. See, all of his ways are pleasantness and all his paths are peace, the Bible says. God is good. And the fruit of God's work in the world is goodness in which we can see some when we look around. But as soon as we want to remove God from our own personal lives, no wonder we are a mess. And as soon as we want to remove God from our own personal relationships, no wonder we are a mess. And the only person you can blame, if you're not going to blame yourself, is everybody else. And if everybody else starts saying, well, stop being so blameworthy and so judgmental and so all of that, and you shouldn't blame this or you shouldn't blame that, then the only person left to blame is God. And we've gotten so prideful that we won't say, I'm the problem. When's the last time with deep remorse you said, woe is me? When's the last time that Josh Green got on his knees and said, goodness gracious, God gave me five kids. Can you imagine raising five kids in 2018? you imagine what it's going to be like in 10 years for them? They'll probably be all over the place doing the worst things in the world with the worst attitudes, with the worst women and the worst guys, and who knows what could happen, right? That's the way most things go, right? Be honest. What's the only answer? Seriously. You think I can just be nice enough to them that they'll turn out and be saints as they get older? Baloney. You know better than that. We got a whole world, a whole town, a whole city full of people who say, well, I thought I did a good job. I thought I raised them better than that. And we're all over the place. We're irreverent toward God because nobody wants to fall on their knees and cry their eyes out and say, woe is me. Micah is hurting. Micah's not the one in sin here. Micah's the voice screaming in the city. We got no voices. I know all types of mom and dads sick to their stomach and I'm wondering where's the voice? Where's the voice crying out? God's got a rod. God loves you. Hear him in verse 3 when he says, what have I done? Why are you blaming God? Where's the voice? Where's the remorse? In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus brings this up. Jesus says, do not think, if you've never heard this, listen, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. See, we we think we know what Jesus is like, but honestly, we don't. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, I'm quoting the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think that I have come to bring peace. I've not come to bring peace. 
I came to bring a sword, Jesus says. A sword that will make sure you know what is right and what is wrong. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. A direct quote from Micah chapter 7. Here's what he says. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. But whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The answer to my life and your life, the answer to parenting And the answer to your family and the answer to our society and to our town and our city are the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would humble yourselves before God, not stick out your chest, but you would say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, you died on the cross to make me right, to put things back together, to give me a desire to be that man that treats people well, to be that man who stands for what is right, to be that woman who treats people well, to be that woman who stands for what is right, to try to lead a family toward the ways of God, not try to lead a family toward what you think is best, but toward the ways of God. This comes only through the power of God through faith in Christ. And we can look around. It is so easy to do without stepping on so many toes and upsetting everybody in the room 